Santa Clarita Church has a wonderful reputation. I don't know if you know that. It's, this church is spoken of highly all over Southern California. Your music program, second to none, outstanding congregation, great pastors in the past. Uh, both um, Pastor Rothler, Pastor Honus are very good friends of mine. So, again, I'm just delighted to have had an invitation to be with you folks today. If you would take your Bibles, let's turn to Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. There will be several scriptures that we'll look at in this very well-known passage of the Bible, beginning with the first verse. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. From the King James, we know that scripture as judge not, that ye be not judged, that ye be not judged. Now, we have all met some individuals who are very judgmental. They seem to have the habit of measuring other people, of looking them over, and making comments, usually meant to encourage improvement. Some have lists of Ellen G. White comments from her many red books and articles on dress and makeup and jewelry. And some of these folks are permanently on a grand jury, ready to bring in an indictment against people who aren't measuring up. And it may be that in your neighborhood you have some very judgmental people. They know all the CCNRs. And they can see that you're changing your oil in your front yard in the, I mean, in the front, on the driveway, you know. And that's not permitted. And when you water your lawn, some of the, if you have a lawn left these days, and when you're watering, some of the water gets out on the sidewalk, you know. They come and knock at your door about that. <clears throat> Maybe your water runs under the fence into their yard. Maybe your dog barks too late, late at night. And they are always there to help you find improvement. Judge not that you be not judged. There are others, however, who hide behind that scripture to avoid accountability. Don't judge me. <laughs> who are you to judge? Doesn't the scripture say? There was one lady who got into trouble with her church. They had very high moral standards, and I don't know, she did something. They put her under judgment. And then she found her way by invitation to a national television program. And uh, she was there, and the pastor heard her story. And he looked right at the television audience across the nation and said, Christians, don't you know your Bible? Judge not. And there are really people who do hide behind that scripture to avoid accountability. But look at verse 18 with me, if you would. Well, let's start with verse 15. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. 
By their what? By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree, tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. By their fruits ye shall know them. So on the one hand, we have a scripture which says, judge not. But then a little bit further down, Jesus is quoted as saying, by their fruits you shall know them. So how can we be good fruit inspectors without judging? That's a little bit of a challenge for us, isn't it? The truth is, we have to make judgments which involve other people forming opinions about them all the time. Well, you have to do that uh, when a national election comes up, of course. You have to do that when you are trying to find a pastor for your church. You have to do that when uh, someone recommends some health remedies. You know, I have a particular health problem, and, and I've gotten all kinds of suggestions. I have friends, they've gotten, you know, bushel baskets full of videotapes and books and, and uh, links to websites. You have to make judgments about those health remedies. Are they going to be snake oil? Or are they going to be beneficial? And of course, every church, because we're a faith congregation, we believe in trust, eventually someone comes along who's going to offer the church membership good investment opportunities. If you'll just invest in their special project, God's work will be blessed, you'll be blessed. What more could you ask for? But unfortunately, many times, those people are scammers. Now we have to make a judgment. What kind of a judgment? John 7:24 is our next scripture. That is the scripture that was just read this morning, John chapter 7 verse 24. Jesus said, "Stop judging by mere appearances and make a King James righteous judgment." Stop judging by surface appearances and make a righteous judgment. And how can you do that? How can you make right judgments without becoming a judgmental person? I'm back now at Matthew chapter, uh, chapter 7, where Jesus continues his, his counsel here on judging. In verse 2 he says, For in some way you judge others, for in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck of sawdust out of your eye when all the time there is a two-by-four in your own eye? You hypocrite. If we're going to make judgments about others, we must first, righteous judgment. 
we must first be on guard against hypocrisy in our own hearts, in our own lives. You can't give someone else kindly counsel and friendly criticism, constructive. You can't do that if you have the same problem or worse, or you have another problem that's worse. You better go to the Holy Spirit and look in the mirror of the law, as the book of James says, and ask for help in dealing with your own problem first. We can't be hypocrites. Now, here's the second suggestion on how to make righteous judgments. When I was at Pacific Union College, there was a professor there who said, the mark of a mature person is to suspend judgment until all the facts are in. Suspend judgment until all the facts are in. We cannot make righteous judgments if we have the habit of being conclusion jumpers. If we have the habit of rushing to judgment, which we see happening in our country over and over again, on the scantest surface appearance of things, people form opinions and express hostility towards others. The mark of a mature person is to, is to suspend judgment until all the facts are in. Now we always have to be alert for a particular word. And this is what my sermon is about today. We have to be alert for prejudice. Prejudice means that you have prejudged a person or something, and that is what prejudice is. Prejudice is prejudice. You have judged a matter or a person or a group before the facts are in. You can't make a righteous judgment if you don't have the facts. Now, I know most of you have probably had the experience where you were invited into a court of law because they were looking for jurors. And the uh, attorneys or the judge probably instructed you. It would be the judge who would, instruct, who would instruct you as follows. Have you been talking with your neighbors about this case? Uh, have you watched news reports about it on television? Have you uh, formed an opinion? In other words, have you prejudged the case before the evidence is presented? They want to exclude people who come in with a prejudice, a prejudice in terms of the guilt or innocence of the party accused. Now, if you're going to make a righteous judgment, you have to be willing to give people the benefit of the doubt. Give people groups the benefit of the doubt, because the problem is always, how do you know when you have sufficient facts? How do you know when you have enough facts on which to make your 
to come to your conclusion. How many of you re remember the old uh, radio program, television program, Dragnet? <laughs> well, you younger folks are miss missing out, missing out, you know, on Sergeant Friday looking somebody, a potential witness in the eye and saying, just the facts, ma'am. Just the facts, sir. You have to be a Sergeant Friday. In particular, when people are accused of something, because someone has seen a surface appearance of a thing, you have to be very careful. Give the benefit of the doubt wherever you can if you're going to make a righteous judgment. Now, prejudice, that is prejudice, is very culturally influenced. You know those Irish, right? You know those Irish? Any Irish here? You know them. Got their red hair. It proves that they have fiery temperaments. And you know about women drivers, right? Now, back when I was a kid, I heard so many comments about women drivers, you know. And a generation or two before, there were a lot of comments about women voters, women drivers, and short men. And these, these uh, opinions are culturally influenced. You know, your people group, they form these judgments about others. And uh, you know short men, right? They're, they have a complex, don't they? Napoleon comes to mind. Do you know why he always had his hand inside his coat? Do you know why? He was hiding a sandwich there for a snack. And people don't know that. But you have to study history. It's hard to overcome prejudice. It's hard to go against your family. When your family knows, some, knows the facts, they think they know the facts, it's hard to go against that. When your group, they're certain they know the facts, hard to go against that. When your party knows the facts, hard to go against that, particularly if you're a member of that party. And whenever prejudice is set in concrete, that means that even when the facts come along, their opinions don't change. Don't confuse me with the facts. Even when the facts come along, their opinions don't change. And when that prejudice is set in concrete and hate is added to it, you have bigotry. That's a word that is just tossed around these days, tossed around. It's in the air all the time, bigots and bigotry. People don't understand. It refers to a hatred based on prejudice that is set in concrete. Did you know that Jesus was a victim of prejudice? It was Nathaniel who said, can any good thing come out of what? Nazareth. Now here's an interesting thing. The town of Nazareth was so small. Have you ever heard that kind of joke? You've heard that about hotel rooms, right? My hotel room was so small, I had to step out into the hallway to change my clothes. Nazareth was so small that it didn't register 
in any any written source until the third century other than the Bible. So small. The Jews never wrote it up. The Romans never wrote it up somewhere. It was just like nowheresville. Who can come from the Ozarks and be respected, you see? Who can come from the country bumpkin uh, town and be respected? And so Nathaniel said, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Now Jesus knew what it felt like to, to have the sting of prejudice directed at him. Because there were a lot of whispers about who his father was. Really, who, who, who's his daddy? See? This, I believe, is why Jesus was so sympathetic to the Samaritans. Why he was so sympathetic to women and children and lepers and Gentiles and army men. He was sympathetic with all of them. Because he knew how it felt to have people jump to a conclusion about you just because you came from a village. And just because some people were whispering about who your father might be. Now today, I want to talk with you about a biblical example of prejudice that has caused a lot of harm to a certain group. I say a Bible example of prejudice that has caused a lot of harm to a certain group. There is a class of persons who claimed and still do claim that they were born that way, but everybody knows who's not part of their group, everybody knows that isn't true, wasn't true. It's a matter of choice. There is a class of persons judged as criminally inclined who deal with the devil. Some have even been burned as witches. There is a class of persons so bad that they have been judged as candidates for hellfire. Now, if you go to the uh, internet, uh, you can find Landover Baptist Church, and the pastor there is named Vigo Christofferson. And Pastor Vigo wrote the following. God knows there are plenty of good reasons for ending up in hell, so why challenge fate just because you want to feel like something special? Approximately 10% of the world, let's see, small print here. Approximately 10% of the world population today is running around and telling others that they are left-handers. Oh, did you think I was talking about some other group? You didn't jump to a conclusion, did you? When I mentioned that there's a group that claim they were born that way, but everybody else knows that's not true. Left-handers. Now, pastor, he's a pastor. He must be telling the truth, right? He must have the facts. This pastor Vigo says, 
This, the group claiming, you know, that they're left-handers, is not a particularly clever move. The Bible contains several examples that God undoubtedly prefers right-handed people. Did you know that? How many of you are left-handers? Let's see your hands go up. Left-handers. Don't be shy. Two. Anyone else? Three. Okay, three. That's all. Some of you are hiding in the closet. He says, that's not a particular move. The Bible contains several examples that God undoubtedly prefers right-handed people. Did you know that? In fact, there's much evidence that left-handers will, will burn in hell for all eternity. Think about that. They will, Pastor Vigo says left-handers will burn in hell for all eternity. And he quotes Matthew 25. Now, you know Matthew 25. The sheep are on what hand? No. The sheep are on what hand? Thank you. And the goats are on what hand? Left hand. The goats are on the left hand. Now he says that left-handers claim to be born that way, but everybody knows that's not really true. You know, my wife Sonia is here today. Uh, she started out left-handed, but they trained it out of her. We have a friend named Lothar in Ridgecrest. Lothar was German, but born in eastern Poland, right next to the Russian border. He was born left-handed. That's his claim. And they brought the ruler down on his hand till he became right-handed. Now, Pastor Vigo gives the examples of left-handed people to prove that left-handers are odd and probably deviant. Examples of such people, Jack the Ripper, Fidel Castro, the Boston Strangler. Now get this, Kermit the Frog. Did you know Kermit the Frog was left-handed? They're not paying attention. Bart Simpson. Now, you're probably not surprised about that, are you? Bart Simpson, left-handed. Barack Obama was left-handed. But hold it. So was John McCain. And Ronald Reagan started out left-handed but became right-handed. Now, not on Pastor Vigo's list. Uh, Judas Iscariot. Now, if you look at the Last Supper by Da Vinci, there are subtle clues in that painting that Iscariot, Judas was left-handed. But also on his list as left-handers are Albert Einstein, that notorious criminal, right? Leonardo da Vinci was left-handed. Benjamin Franklin. Benjamin Netanyahu was in this country last week. Now, in other words, Pastor Vigo's list of left-handers is meaningless. His list is meaningless. But nevertheless, 
Those of you who are left-handed will understand. This culture is culturally right-handed in its thinking and in its, its, its practice. You reach out your hand to open the door. Uh, door handles are open. Are, are they're meant to be opened by right-handed people. You got a golf club, you have to buy special golf clubs if you're going to be left-handed. If you were driving one of those old cars with a stick shift you need, and you were left-handed, you had to learn to shift the car with your right hand. In other words, and this is very important, society has been convinced that if you're normal, you're right-handed. If you therefore were left-handed, you were judged as abnormal when actually you were just unusual. It was not usual to be left-handed, and so that came to be associated with evil things and people. Now, a scripture you might write down, we won't take time to go into it today, is Genesis 48.12. Genesis 48.12 and following is a scripture where Joseph brings his two boys, Ephraim and Manasseh, to Father Isaac, also known as Father Jacob, brings his two boys and his oldest son he puts, he puts by, uh, by Isaac's right hand, the younger boy he puts by Isaac's left hand, expecting that the older boy will receive the patriarchal blessing. Instead, Isaac crosses his arms, and so his right hand blesses the younger son, and his left hand <coughs> is just on the head of the older son. And Joseph says, this is not right, father. This is not right. And uh, Joseph had to accept the fact that God was guiding Jacob, Israel, in choosing which son was going to be blessed. Now, if you look at the Old Testament, you're going to find one class of left-handed people that, got, that were very valued. But now listen, we're going somewhere today. Don't trance out on me. That group of people were all members of the tribe of Benjamin. Left-handers are mentioned three times in the Old Testament. They're always Benjamites. This group of left-handed men were all Benjamites, and they were all slingers in the army. All the slingers in the army were left-handers. Here's why. When a left-hander winds up and that stone comes in, it, tends, it can miss the shield on a, on a soldier's held by his left arm like this, and then it comes in on his right and hits the, hits the enemy. Now, you know, left-handed pitchers are in baseball are well-played. They're probably all Benjamites.
King Saul was a Benjamite. His namesake, many generations later, the Apostle Paul, was also probably a Benjamite. Could have been a left-hander, I don't know. Now, cultural prejudice can be found in the Bible against left-handers. Listen to this scripture from Ecclesiastes 10:2. The heart of the wise inclines to the right, but the heart of the fool to the left. Did you know that? Are you conservative politically and you have some liberal friends, some Democrat friends? See? The heart of the fool inclines to the left. Now, prejudice is a common and unfortunate feature of human experience. When I grew up, I grew up with a lot, I heard a lot of Polish jokes. I never heard one nice Polish joke. So a few years ago, Sonia and I were in Poland with our friends Lothar and Ellen. And we happened to be downtown Warsaw on a tour walking through the main park and so on. And our guide spoke English beautifully and was very open, very friendly. I said to him, you know, when I was growing up, I heard a lot of jokes about Polish people. Yeah, I know, he said. I said, by the way, you're Polish. Do the Polish people tell jokes about their neighbors? Oh, of course, he said. I said, could I hear one? He said, sure. He said, here's a joke about Hungarians. He said, there were these two Hungarian guys walking down the street. And one Hungarian guy said to the other, hey, I've got a, I've got a, a sack on my back uh, with, with cats in that sack. If you can guess how many cats there are in the sack on my back, I'll give you both of them. And the other Hungarian guy said five. Okay. Funny. But, you know, here is the great problem with prejudice. If you have it, you probably don't know it. I hope you're really paying attention now. If you have it, if you're prejudiced, you probably don't know it, because the mark of a prejudiced person is that person thinks they have the facts, but they have prejudged the matter. They have prejudged a people group or a person. They think they have the facts, and so they don't know it. When I grew up, I was surrounded by prejudice, but I didn't know it. And so a person can go through life just so prejudiced against this group and that group and those people and women. But they don't have the fact. I grew up being told that women can't, that girls can't do math. They can't do math. Right? And that they're too emotional to be judges and doctors. And what they want is equality. What they really want is to wear the pants in the family. And they're going to take over. And they shouldn't whistle. Did you know that girls shouldn't whistle? It's boy-like. It's not ladylike to whistle. How about that? 
What were the facts? Well, when my youngest daughter, I had lunch with her yesterday, she's a psychiatrist in Ventura County, and she keeps me in Ritalin and Prozac. It's a joke. Uh, when she graduated from Loma Linda University, her graduating class was the first class in which women were in a majority. When I was a kid, they were still talking down women taking medicine. They were talking down women police officers, and they're still talking down women serving as pastors. And the facts are that girls couldn't do math because they were told they couldn't do math. There is a young lady named Sabrina Pastersky. Sabrina Pastersky is a graduate of MIT, Massachusetts Institute of Technology, with several different degrees. And a brilliant woman, young woman, as spoken of uh, highly by Stephen Hawking, the leading astrophysicist of our time. And uh, she just wrote a paper. You might want to write it down and read it, you know, tomorrow in your spare time. It's called uh, Virasorosymmetry of the quantum gravity and Lowe's subleading S matrix. Did you get that? But she can't do math. Now listen, I've been a pastor for a long time. I had a very intelligent lady tell me my dad wouldn't send me to college. He said, you're only going to go up there to get a Mrs. degree. I'm not wasting my money. And then a lot of times I send girls to college to get a degree in home economics, learn how to can. That's important, but boys ought to learn how to can too. Get a degree in home economics, learn how to make their own clothes. Not bad stuff, but you don't want to spend um, $160,000 on a college education for your kids so that they can come back and they have to come back able to really make a job and have a career. No, we have harmed women because we've rushed to judgment about what they're capable of or not capable of. Now, when I grew up, I was told that black people want to take over. That's really, that's really what they're all about. They want to take over and they have big families so that they can take over and get even. And if their music ever gets into our churches, we're done for. And I grew up hearing about Mexican people. You know, Mexican people, they really want to take over. That's why they come to this country with their large families. And they come with, with uh, siestas and frijoles and sombreros. Do you know I like frijoles? And I love siestas. Do you know that when I dream, I dream about naps? Yeah. But you know, my wife's cousin was a big time, you know, part of a big time 
contracting company out there in Nevada, Las Vegas, where the temperatures are really high. And when those temperatures got up to 180 degrees on the roof because they had having to pour hot tar, spread hot tar over, there was only one group of guys they could, they could employ to get up on the roof and handle that hot tower, and that were guys from Mexico. And we're told that the Mexican people, you know, they say a lot of funny things. They say that we stole their land. <laughs> uh, anyway, I was uh, wandering around a local library years ago, and I stumbled on this book, The Mexican-American War. I didn't have anything else to do. It was a fat book. I love history. I like to read. I read that book. Good book, you know. There was a little trouble between the Texans and the Mexican people down in Texas, and President Polk raised an army, you know, and he sent the army down to save the Texans, and they just decided to save the Texans by taking Texas and Arizona and New Mexico and I guess Oklahoma too and maybe California. They just grabbed it all because the Texans were aggrieved, see? And right down on the last page of that book, I can still remember how hard I was laughing because I grew up with this whole thing about, they say we stole our life. And you get down to the last page and it said, and so basically we just took their land away from them on the pretext that, you know, they were harming the Mexicans, harming the Texans. Really. Do you know how we got the Panama Canal? Now, you know, I was around when President Carter was given such a trouble because he gave the Panama Canal back. What was wrong with him? I've read the book, The Path Between the Seas. Now, the facts are that that area was owned by Colombia. There was no Panama. And there had been a, a train going back and forth, back and forth for a long, long time carrying cargo. They said, we gotta, we got to put a canal in, but, you know, the Colombians won't sell us the land. So the administration in power at that time hired a lot of agitators, outside agitators, to go down to Panama and demand that the U.S. expropriate the, the Panama Isthmus. They did just that, and the president said, our people are being harmed. There's a demand that we take over the Panama Isthmus. The Columbia said, no, we're sorry, that's our land. And their Colombian Navy sailed, and they met the American Navy also sailing to then. It was 10 times, 100 times more powerful. And so the, uh, the Colombian Navy turned around and went back well, after President Carter got the facts, he gave Panama back to, well, the Panamanians who happened to be the people living in the Isthmus area. That's the facts on it. Now, so they say we stole our land. Well, I'm going to get to that now. Hold that. Hold that thought. Yeah, it belonged to Mexico. They got a point. So when they swim the Rio Grande or climb over the wall, 
And they got some historical justification there. Now let's move on to the next group. People group. I said, I grew up surrounded by prejudice, but I didn't know it. Is that true of you? Now here we go. Here comes the Asian people. You know, I was told that if you let one Asian in, a hundred come. I was told that the Asians are coming in because they want to take over. They're coming in, and you know, they all look alike. Have you noticed that? All Asian people look like they were produced by a mass factory out there in China. And they all have inscrutable looks on their faces. Inscrutable. You know, their expression never, don't smile there, please. You don't get it, you know. You, your, your look is inscrutable. And they come over and they say, you don't understand, you Americans, you Mexicans, you Native. This land is our land. They come over and they say, don't you understand that the first people here were Asian people? Well, that's true. The first people groups that came to this country all came across the, the bridge across the Bering Strait, the land bridge. You could just walk from Siberia to Alaska at one time because the ocean level was lower. And then they spread out and they spread out and they spread out and so on across across this land. The Native American people are essentially related to the Asian people. So if you're Filipino, uh, if you're Chinese, if you're Japanese, if you're Korean, take over. This is your land. Just take over. Go downtown and demand a whole city block of high-rise buildings. It's our land. You're camping on our land. Now, the Native Americans, well, they're Indians, right? You know, that, that gets me worked up. Columbus must have been drunk. He was wandering around the Atlanta, Atlantic in his boat, and he happened to bump up against an island in the Caribbean. He got off, he looked around, he said, these people look like Indians who live in India. Though all of the Native American people get saddled with a name. They all get called Indians because Columbus thought he was in India. And he looked at their teeth. If you're any dentist here, you probably look at people's teeth all the time, all right? Columbus was not a dentist. Did you know that he was part Jewish? Did you know that the reason he was really trying to get India is because he was trying to find the lost 10 tribes? Because he wanted to reconnect with a homeland for the Jewish people? The Jews had just been thrown out of Spain by the queen. And uh, he, kept his, he kept his rabbis on board his ship until the day they sailed. There were no Catholic priests on board his ship. But he stumbled into the Caribbean, and so we call all these people redskins, or they don't, there's, there's nobody with a red skin on the planet, or we call them Indians, 
and they weren't Indians. <clears throat> and we have this myth in our mind that when they got here, it was an empty country. See? I mean, when, when, when Columbus got here and the rest, when it was an empty country. No, it was not empty. There were millions of Native Americans, but they contracted European diseases and died. So now comes the pilgrims, see? And uh, they went around stealing the Native Americans' corn, and so the Native Americans decided to send out an ambassador. The ambassador comes out, and uh, the, the pilgrims uh, have a con they, they don't speak any Native American tongue, so they come out, and they have a conversation, and the speaker for the, the speaker for the uh, Native Americans spoke English. The first conversation between the pilgrims and the Native Americans, the man spoke English. Did you know that? See? I won't go into why that's important. Now, to know. Now, we're told that the Jews want to take over, and in fact, they already have because they own all the big banks. I want you to turn with me to our closing scripture today, James 2, verses 1 to 7. James 2, verses 1 to 7. My brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold coin and fine clothes, and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but you say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? And down in verse 9, if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. Prejudice is a sin. And we all grow, I don't care what group you are, you represent, we all grow up with it, surrounded by it, and it's very hard to outgrow, but the scripture written by Jesus' own half-brother, James, if you show favoritism, you, you sin. We have to pray that the Lord will open our eyes, not prejudge people, not prejudge individuals, not prejudge groups. And it will have to be alert to the shortcomings in our own heart where we play favorites and in doing so hurt those who are left-handed or whatever else they may be.